The story is told of two Englishmen visiting a church in a foreign country. Not understanding what was being said, they decided that the best approach would be that they follow the man a couple of rows ahead of them and, and what he was doing, so that when he stood, they would stand, when he sat, they would sit, when he bowed, they would bow. That worked really well for most of the service. Until that is, the man they were imitating stood up, these two Englishmen stood up, and everyone else around them remained seated and promptly burst into laughter. These two Englishmen, of course, had absolutely no idea what had just happened. Things were going along very well for them until all that they had expected changed. Realising that something was amiss, these two Englishmen quickly sat back down rather sheepishly. After the service, they found a woman who spoke English and asked her to explain what had happened. She laughed and said that at that point in the service, the priest had announced that next week there would be an infant baptism and could the father of the child please stand up? I can tell you that is a true story because I heard it from the very mouth of one of those people. <laughs> you know, sometimes things don't quite go the way we expect. We meet in the readings today three characters who discovered that what they had thought about God and how God worked was about to be radically changed. It's as if they were being told, this isn't going to happen the way you think it will. You think, Abraham and Sarah, you will have no ancestors. Well, think again. You think, Peter, you won't have to suffer with Christ? Well, think again. You think you know exactly how God works? Well, think again. You think you've got this teacher, Jesus, all figured out? Well, think again. We have reached the halfway point of Mark's Gospel, and not just literally. Today's Gospel passage is the hinge on which the Gospel turns. Mark's Gospel, which begins with the good news of Jesus Christ, shifts gear. From his ministry in Galilee, focus now turns to Jerusalem to where Jesus will be crucified. And our focus in Lent points us in the same direction. Jesus is saying to Peter, this is where I'm going, and this is where you're going, but you don't get that yet. It's as if he's saying, you haven't realized that everything up to this point, the miracles, the teaching, even Peter, when you said that I am the Messiah, all of that is prologue. The real action is to come. The main event is ahead of us. And then and there, you will truly see and fully understand what it means for me to be the Messiah. Significantly too, we have here in this gospel passage the very first mention 
in Mark's gospel of the word cross. Jesus is referring not just to the instrument of torture and execution, of shame and degradation, of violence, but also the cross of discipleship, which all Jesus' followers will carry. His imagery would have been immediately recognisable for his hearers. Being crucified on a cross was bad enough, but carrying the cross, the very cross on which the condemned would receive their ultimate punishment, that was an act of shame and ridicule, a public spectacle, a violent, vicious act by which the oppressors, in this case the Roman Empire, put down all who were opposed to it. Let's not sanitize it. Discipleship comes at a cost. We sometimes often use the word discipleship to signify someone growing deeper in their faith by attending a course or taking the next step after they've become Christians. And that's fine as far as it goes, and there are many courses we can commend. But discipleship, of course, is far more than a course. It is for a lifetime. And this is where Peter in the Gospels thought that he got this. He had borne witness to Jesus' ministry. He had heard Jesus preach. He had shared meals with Jesus. He had heard even here Jesus speak plainly, unambiguously about what and how he would suffer. But Peter had missed by a wide margin what Jesus was all about. He had sanitized Jesus and not yet seen the cost. There's a phrase that sometimes people use by way of encouraging a friend, and it's, you've got this. In other words, I believe in you, you can do it. Well, the gospel reading today made me think that Jesus is saying to Peter, you don't got this. And it's not that Peter just didn't get what it meant to carry the cross. Peter didn't get that Jesus wasn't going to work according to Peter's own expectations. What Jesus was going to go on to do was way outside, well beyond what Peter, let alone anyone else, could have possibly imagined. And such it was for Abraham and Sarah. What was to occur for them was simply impossible. Indeed, Jesus' retort to Peter that you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns, applies just as much to Abraham and Sarah as it did to Peter. We will all have experiences in our faith where God has not done what we have expected God to do. And that may be more than we expected or less than we expected. That may be an experience of abundance, and it may be an experience of lack. That may be an experience of joy, but it may be an experience of sadness. That may be an experience of glory, or it may be an experience of grief. For what brought joy to Abraham and Sarah also brought shame to Peter. As one became the father of many nations, the other cowardly ran away. 
But of course their stories don't end there. The Old Testament would be much less were it not for the story of Abraham and Sarah, Esau and Jacob, Isaac and Ishmael, and so on and so on. The New Testament would be much less were it not for the commissioning of Peter, the forming of the church, the spirit at Pentecost, the spreading of the gospel, and so on and so on. While Jesus was saying to Peter, you don't got this, he was also saying to him, as God was saying to Abraham and to Sarah, I got you. Because at the end of the day, it wasn't about what Abraham and Sarah and Peter could and couldn't do. But it was about God. God calling us, carrying us, inviting us not to imitate him, but to follow him. To follow him to that beyond which we can see, beyond which we can comprehend, beyond what we think is possible, beyond the deep, dark, devastating suffering that Christ shares with us, beyond the desolation and deafening silence of Holy Saturday, beyond the confusion of things not being as we think they ought. Beyond all of that, to the great glorious day when we meet the risen Christ and in that place of life and light, he says, you've got this and I've got you. Let us pray. O oh God, you know us better than we know ourselves. You know what we are able to bear, and you know what would destroy us. We pray for all who face danger on this day, both in our community and in the communities of our world. We pray for people standing in lines for food and water, for people without permanent housing, and for those who have been tragically bereaved. We pray for the unemployed, the underemployed, and for those in fear of losing their jobs. We pray for all who stand bravely for Christ on this day, and for all who wait patiently on your promises. Remind all who struggle that they are not forsaken, and that their faith in you is not misplaced. Open our hearts to respond to the needs of a hurting world. Make us your hands and feet and walk us into places where people need you most. May we follow the path of Jesus wherever it needs to take us so that you might be glorified on this earth. Amen.